This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Regan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. On this episode of DesignCast, I speak to my longtime friend, Brittany Vickery. Brittany Vickery is the founder and CEO of Initials Inc. As a new mom, Brittany was just searching for someone who could put her son's name on his diaper bag. After weeks of searching in her local community, her husband, Darren, suggested a simple but life-changing idea. Why don't you do it? Struggling to find her purpose as a stay-at-home mom and eager to make a financial contribution, Brittany dove in. Armed with a spare bedroom and a six-foot folding table, she invested in her first embroidery machine and started monogramming anything that wasn't moving. Soon she was taking orders from friends and neighbors, many of who wanted to sell the products themselves, and began to see that this little spare bedroom boutique could become something so much more. 15 years later, Initials Inc. is a nationally recognized brand with thousands of creative partners in 50 states. Founded on the simple but life-changing idea that we all should be provided with the opportunity to have fun and make money. Our conversation is really spirited and she shares her secrets of success and offers advice for educators working with students that are demonstrating entrepreneurial spirit. You really don't want to miss this one. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with 
Brittany Vickery. Welcome back to another episode of Design Cast. And today I am so excited to have Brittany Vickery with me here on this episode. Brittany, how are you today? I am doing awesome, Jason. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Brittany. And so, Brittany, do you mind telling the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So, oh my goodness, it's kind of a varied story, but. I live in Northeast Georgia, about an hour northeast of Atlanta with my family, my husband, Darren, of 24 years. I have two children, Pierce, who is 18, a senior in high school, and a daughter who is a 14-year-old freshman in high school. So we're in the throes of the high school years. But my professional journey started actually in institutional advancement. I actually, prior to that, worked for a Fortune 100 insurance company for a brief stint, then got into institutional advancement at a local university a little bit down the road from us here. And really just Darren and I had been married at that time for five years and felt like it was time to start our family. We became pregnant with Pierce, who, as I shared with you just a minute ago, has already just turned 18 in September. So we had really been committed as a family that I would stay home with him as a baby, at least for that first year. And I did. So I stepped out of the corporate world and stepped into stay-at-home mom world. And Jason, as you can probably attest to knowing me for all the years that you have, I don't sit idle very well. I'm kind of a busybody. And so, yeah, right. I hear you chuckling. And so I was home with Pierce for that first year. And ironically, someone in our community gave me a bag and I wanted to have his name put on it. Now, I'm a firm believer now, here I am all these years later, looking back that I think every great idea is really born probably out of a need or a frustration point or something that calls you forward, right? And so as very simply, as I stated, I was just looking for somebody that could put his name on the bag and no one in our community could do it. I called alteration shops. I called clothing stores. I called dry cleaners. I called everybody around locally. And so I, I will never forget this evening. I was leaning against our kitchen counter in our kitchen. I always say the greatest conversations for a married couple usually happen in the kitchen. So I was in the kitchen, leaning against the kitchen counter, and I was lamenting to Darren about how I had called like six places that day and nobody could put his name on this bag. And I'm like, how hard can it be to put a name on a bag? And Darren very flippantly, but very purposefully looked at me and said, why don't you do it? So it kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit because I was like, so he's, he's probably just wanting me to stop complaining is truthfully what it was. But I thought, you know what? Why don't I do it? So I let that roll around for a few days and I came back to him again. Here I am, a stay-at-home mom, making no money, bringing nothing into the family. And I said to him, you know what? I thought about what you said a few days ago. And I really think maybe there is a need in our community, obviously, to do something like this. How do you feel about me buying an embroidery machine, kind of setting up a little shop and seeing what happens? And he was like, I think that sounds like an awesome idea. So literally, Jason... I bought an embroidery machine from a vendor in Atlanta. I went to Walmart and bought a six foot folding table. I kid you not. I set it up in a spare bedroom that we had in our home. I went to our local little print shop and had some business cards made and I started hustling. I started letting the gift shops know the services that I offered. I started hosting my own little back to school open houses or holiday markets literally in my home and selling embroidered products that I would buy the blank products from various different places and I would add embellishments to them and then I would put people's 
personalization on them and I would sell them and make a profit. And at the time I was everything, right? I was procurement. I was design. I was execution. Sometimes I was delivery. I mean, it was the truest, rawest form of entrepreneurship because it literally was a business that, that I gave birth to out of a spare bedroom on a six foot folding table. What happened during that, during that window of time was I call them this army of direct selling women. So these women that were selling cosmetics and jewelry and cookware, probably lots of national names that you guys have heard of in the past, Mary Kay, Tastefully Simple, Avon, those types of people would end up coming to my little open houses and my little trunk shows. And one of them asked in front of several others at one particular event, hey, Brittany, have you ever thought about letting other people come and do what you do? Not sew the product, but just sell the product for you. Well, I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. I knew very well what that looked like. My parents had had the art of the hustle their entire life. And, you know, it was just a really beautiful, beautiful experience for me to see growing up of how there may be seasons of want and seasons of plenty. You may get what you need, but not necessarily everything you want sometimes. But I loved that ride. I loved growing up in that environment. So it taught me a whole lot. And I really felt like in that moment, I kind of heard that differently, which is there may be a whole other business model out here that might make me less tired and yet provide an opportunity for other women to come and do what I'm doing. And so what I regrouped the business in 2005 and launched it officially as what's known as a direct selling company, where you bring on independent representatives that do a small buy-in, whether it's about $100, usually on average. Average. Right now, because it's our 16th year in business, we actually just launched a $16 enrollment opportunity. So we have reps that come on for a small investment up front, and then they go and rep the products, sell the products in their respective environment, their respective communities, and they earn a percentage of commission off everything that they sell. We, on the other hand, do all of the order fulfillment, all of the product design, all of the embroidery, all of the product procurement, all of every bit of that on our own. We do that here in the U.S., and and we ship it out all across the, the country. We currently have, we've signed close to 35,000 reps all across America, and they are in all 50 states at this point. So I would say we've grown a hair since that six foot folding table in my spare bedroom. <laughs> it's been a really, really wild ride. Brittany, what an amazing story. And I, I listened to, holy moly, 35,000. Yeah. It's actually 36 wow. and some change actually. But Holy yeah. moly. Yeah. That is unbelievable. And I mean, I love that entrepreneurial spirit that you're talking about here and that the way you describe the art of the hustle. <laughs> I think that's yeah. that's pretty neat. And I think that's particularly useful at this time in history that we're living in at the moment, because I think a lot of people feel, especially as the world starts to open back up a little bit, that the art of the hustle is going to be really important moving forward. Well, <laughs> and it will be. And I'll tell you, I just shared these statistics literally yesterday. We did a corporate Facebook live event where I spoke to several thousand people about our business opportunity. And I'll share a couple of those statistics with you about right now, because I think it's really, really pertinent. But one in four people are going to earn money online in 20. 2021. One in four. I mean, that's that has never happened in our history. But here's the one that really kind of blew my mind when we're thinking about the art of the hustle and people being able to do a side gig. We call it a side gig. Most of our reps have a full-time job. They do this on the side. It fills in. It pays for soccer lessons. It's paying a car payment. It's putting groceries on the table. Maybe it's helping their month last a little bit longer, right? Whatever it is. They all have it paying for vacation, whatever it is. But I thought that the one in four in 2020 was really interesting. But here's the one that blew me away. From 2018 to 2000. 
2019, e-commerce grew 15%. Now, I'm going to tell you as a businesswoman, anything that grows 15%, you need to be all over because that is an impressive number. But here's the one that really blew my hair back. From 2019 to 2020, e-commerce grew 44%. And it's expected to do even more so in 2021. So when we talk about now is the time, when we're talking about what's happening in our economy, our global economy, no more do we have a homegrown economy. We've got a global economy that we are standing in. We better be on the e-commerce wagon or we're going to miss out on some some great profitability and revenue making opportunities. Wow. Those are some amazing statistics. And just recently, Brittany, I had another guest on that was talking about the art of the pivot and she was talking about it in the in regards to educational changes and in her in her career. But I think that that's probably true about your business being nimble and being able. I know you've got a lot of people working for you in a sense, but to be able to make any shifts in that business model quickly, not having bricks and mortar probably helps, right? Well, one hundred percent. And you know, the ironic part is, I feel like we are so perfectly positioned for where we are standing in right now in our society, and I've shared that very, very often with our sales field. You know, we had our last in-person event was last January. We were in Atlanta. We had our last in-person event. And the crazy part was we didn't know we were stepping into COVID. We didn't know that was the reality of what the next couple of months in front of us was going to be. But that entire event, three days, we trained our sales field on how to have a virtual business. We were teaching them how to sell take something that used to be an in-person, right? They were doing what I did. They were having little trunk shows. They were inviting people into their home. They were going into people's homes. It was very much in-person, but that entire three-day event was teaching them how to operate a successful online virtual business. Two months later, not even really, about six weeks later, we would be in total lockdown as a society and they had no choice but to pivot. And the ironic part is, is that 2020, for the majority of our sales reps, they made more money in 2020 than they made the year before. Wow. That's amazing. So I want to go back and ask you a question because, uh, you know, sometimes the listeners might wonder why we're talking. And I think there's some really important things that we're talking about here. One is that this whole entrepreneurial spirit, it's not age specific. Having even kids in high school and even middle school who think about making money on a side hustle, you know, I think YouTube has helped a lot with that too, because they watch YouTubers and they hear how much money they get paid. You know, so I think they, they like that. But, but, you know, too, we've got a lot of creative kids in our classes who they just need a little push. You mentioned that you guys do a lot of, you do all the design, like you have your scripts and you have all these different things for the embroidery. What's that process like? Do you add a lot of new stuff often or do you stick with the classics or how does that work? Yeah. So I think in terms of design for us, it really wears two hats. Well, really three, I guess you could say. First and foremost, we design all of our own products. So we have a product development team here in the U.S. at our corporate offices that works with our overseas manufacturers, some of which we've had our manufacturing partners overseas, we have had for 12 and 13 years of our 16 years. And so we have been so fortunate to partner with other family owned businesses overseas and really build some beautiful relationships with them over the years that have just been fantastic. So Number one, we do all of our own product development. We're designing products. We're placing zippers and buttons and pulls and all of those things down to the finest of detail in designing the product. Second, we're designing all of our own prints. 
So from a creative standpoint, all of the prints that you see that our products come in are exclusive to us. Our team, in partnership with our overseas teams, design exclusively those prints just for us. You're not going to find them anywhere else on the market. They are trademarked and they are ours. And then third would be what you mentioned, which is our embroidery design, which 100% of that happens here in the U.S. in our facility in Georgia. And we do that seasonally. So every six months, I call it, I say we give birth every six months. We have a baby every six months. And that baby is our catalog, right? We're producing the next season's line. And so we have a fall and winter catalog that launches in early September. And then we have a spring and summer collection that launches in early March. March the 3rd is when it will launch in 2021. Obviously, all of those babies don't get born overnight. It's about a year worth of work. So right now we're working on fall 2021-22 already. Spring is about to launch. And so fall is, is in the works and almost complete at this point. So We've really got three areas of design that we work on every season. And the embroidery side, we're a little bit more nimble on that. We offer fonts that people can put their names or their monograms or their nickname or a cute saying or what have you on it within the character limit that we specify for each product. Because some products would look great with just a single initial or a three-letter monogram. Some products can, because they're a little bit larger, accept you know, a one or a two-line personalization for somebody to put something fun or kitschy on it or Reagan family or something that's a little bit more inclusive of the whole family and not just an individual. And then we have things that are called icons, which have a little bit more of a graphic element to them that we actually stitch out on the products, whether it's a football or a flower or a ballet girl or a basketball, lacrosse, anything kind of sports related. And then we have some that are just a little bit more generic. We did some this year that were about baby's first Christmas, our first home, those types of things. We always have seasonal icons that we call them that do things like Happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas and Halloween and those types of things. So we try to be seasonally specific, but then also just give people some graphic things that they can put on products that really speak to them and are just representative of who they are and their personality. Wow. It sounds like you've grown a lot since your six foot folding table. We have, but I still have that six foot folding table. It still sits up in our, uh, in our office. I still have the chair that I used to sit on whenever I sell products and it travels with us when we have events and we take it out on stage. And it's a lot of fun to kind of harken back to those, mm-hmm. to those really humble yeah. beginnings. When you have your museum about all your stuff, that can be right there in a glass <laughs> case, I'm sure. <laughs> Brittany, it sounds to me like you've expanded beyond embroidery from what you're telling me. Is that true? Embroidery is still what our how our customers customize their products. But I think when I look at our company from a design standpoint, it really has expanded from buying previously produced blank products that we could put embroidery on to definitely making the segue to designing our own prints, designing our own products, having those produced exclusively for us to where it's really bringing a full spectrum of uniqueness and customization to the mix. That sounds great. It sounds like that you've got lots of different dimensions there. And what sorts of materials do you actually use? I would assume you, you use like cotton and synthetics and, and that kind of thing. Or what do you have everything? What do you, what do you, what all do you use? So we use a variety of things. Ironically, we kind of pay attention to what's going on in the import world. Cotton is a commodity that trades just like gold and silver does. So it kind of goes up and down a good bit. The swings are pretty significant. Cotton also has a pretty high import rate. So we actually say 
staying away from cotton. And we lean a little bit more into the blends, into what probably here in the States, most people would know as microfibers. They wash really well. A lot of our more utility type bags are in those microfibers. They just clean well. They wear well. You can throw them in your washing machine. They're, they're just not real ticky. A lot of microfibers, a lot of blends, a lot of deniers, things that are really wearable and usable for families. And then I would say probably our top selling material type is our vegan faux leather. So we've worked really, really hard over the last, I would say probably six years, seven, six or seven years, somewhere in that window, we went into development around really creating with a faux leather vendor overseas, really creating kind of what we call the world's best faux leather. I'm telling you right now, if you touch it and feel it and smell it, you're going to think it's real leather, but it's actually vegan faux leather. And we produce a line of bags that we call our bag bar, where you are choosing a base bag, then you can choose a strap, whether you're a long strap girl or a short strap girl, or you want it to go crossbody. And it just really gives you, again, another customization element on creating something that is unique to you and unique to how you use a product. And so our vegan faux leather does incredibly well in our handbag line. And then we also came out with some travel pieces in it this past year that have done incredibly well as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I felt like I remember seeing something that looked like leather on your website. That's really neat. Do you do like stamping and things like that on the leather too? Or how does that work? All of our personalization and customization is exclusively through embroidery. We have offered some stamping in the past. It did not do as well as the embroidery did. And so like any other business, we're always evaluating what works and what doesn't, right? And when something doesn't work as well as we had anticipated, then you nix it and go on to try something else. We've really honed in on the fact that the embroidery is what people love the most. We've developed some very specific stitches to us that we call it a true stitch technology where our team has actually developed a design within the stitching, if you can even get your head around that, to where when the letters are monogrammed, there is actually a pattern within the stitching that creates another design element for your monogram to be represented. So it's really cool. <laughs> it's just really, that sounds really cool. awesome, man. Yeah. I dig, I dig that kind of stuff. That's super cool. And yeah. wow, that's, that's super neat, Brittany. And this is, this is so cool. I just love talking to you about this because these are the kinds of things, believe it or not, that you you know, I'll be talking to my students about at some point. We've been doing logo design and we do, we talk about how we use our initials to do this and that and how we represent ourselves. So that's really neat. That's a real life application, you know, that we can, we can discuss. I mean, that's super cool. Yeah, it totally is. And all of this are just, you know, I would say things that, you know, we work really closely with the company that does our personalization software, which is really a neat, a neat opportunity to work with them. And they do, they are the same embroidery company that works with Disney and with Land's End and with all of the big names that you would possibly think about in the customization world. And that's who our that's who our partnership is with. That's who does all of our integration for all of our embroidery work. And so partnering with people that the only thing they do is embroidery, it allows your whole team to really level up on just learning some really cool things, some things that make it really unique and special to you and to your brand. And you know this, anytime you can kind of create that unique 
only one in the market kind of philosophy, it gives you something really special mm-hmm. to hang your hat on. That sounds super cool, Brittany. Thank you for that. And so I want to back up just a little bit because first off, listeners need to know we've full disclosure, we've known each other for a really long time. <laughs> I don't even want to think about how many years it's been now, but we've known each other, gosh, approaching, I guess, 30 years almost. Can you believe that, Brittany? I can't even believe I that. I cannot believe it. How, are, how have we known each other 30 years yet? We're both still 20. I, I don't that? know. We must be living in a wormhole or something. I don't know, a vortex. So, Brittany, one thing I want to ask you about, and you've got a, a really outgoing personality, much like myself. And so what have been some of the sort of challenges of being a small business owner in this day and age? That's a great question. And I would say probably in terms of challenges, it is figuring out the things you don't know. And I'm not even going to really couch that as being a challenge. I have really encouraged our team, our sales reps to kind of flip the script on the word challenge or a problem or those types of things and really kind of put it more into the into the spectrum of every single thing that you encounter that may not go the way you want it to go. It's not a challenge. It's not a problem. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to choose to see it through a different lens to choose to push through and go to the other side. So in terms of the things that were that were some opportunities for me, I would say early on, I had a great opportunity to have to educate people on what my vision was. And I will say that no one will ever see what you see. And I think that's a pretty lonely place to stand in as an entrepreneur, because if you are an entrepreneur and you are a big dreamer, you know, yes, I was set up on a six foot folding table, but I also knew that was not where I was going to stay. Once I began to see the traction take off, I knew that that was not where I was built to stay. And it's not where I was taking this brand or my vision. And so when you begin to grow, you need money to grow. And so I go back to some of those very early conversations, one story in particular that I've shared a lot over the years, which I think just speaks to how the entrepreneurial journey can be perceived as kind of a little bit of a blow off. I had an appointment with a local bank here. We needed a line of credit. We were at the point where I needed to start purchasing large quantities of product overseas and bringing them in because it was just no longer feasible for us to be producing products or purchasing products domestically any longer. The margins just were not there. And let's be honest, manufacturing is not back in the United States the way it used to be. It's just not. And there are people that have perfected the art of consumables, perfected the art of accessories. And we were at a point I needed to make some purchases, needed to get a line of credit, had an appointment with several banks. I saw this as I was interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me. And one in particular, I was standing in the lobby waiting for my appointment and a guy walked through the lobby and said, Hey, Brittany, what are you, is that you? And I was like, yeah. And so we got to talking and I said, ironically, I said, I'm actually your one o'clock appointment. I'm the one that's here to talk with you about my new business. And you would have thought I threw cold water in his face, number one. And then he looked back at me and said, do you really think you need to be here? Don't you think you just need to go back home and be with your kids? And in that moment, as a business owner and as a woman, I had to make a decision of either he was right or I was right. But one of us was right and one of us was wrong. And that would have been a very easy thing for me to have tucked my tail between my legs and and gotten back in my car and said, he's right. I'm being a bad mother. I need to just go home with my kids. You know, I say out of the ignorance of his mouth became the greatest fire in my belly. And it really did because I do believe I'm a great mother. I do believe I'm a great entrepreneur. I do believe I have things that are helping women and families all across America, but it could have stopped in that moment with what came out of his mouth. 
We went on and had the meeting. I interviewed two other banks. We did not bank with his bank, as you can imagine. And he has come back several times and asked for that business and I have politely declined. But he is a big part of my story because I think if you don't have the fortitude to push through, if you don't have the thick skin, and this is not about me being a woman and him being a man. And now granted, I think what he said was pretty ridiculous, but I didn't, I didn't take it so much as that. Just more so no one will ever see your vision the way you see it. And you have to know that and you have to own it. And you've got to become the expert in selling your vision because nobody else can sell it for you. That was an opportunity that we really had to overcome because it takes money to make money. And we had to find funding in order to do that. And obviously we figured that out. We've got some beautiful banking partners and relationships now that have been just wonderful blessings in our life and have continued to fuel our growth and our fire, all while not taking any equity position in our company. I have always maintained 100% ownership of our company. I do not give away equity of my business, but we do we do have banking partners that help fuel that growth for us. What a, an amazing story. I would like to hopefully think that no one else would have to deal with that kind of comment because I know that was 15 or so years ago, but still, I think it's you would think, especially in this day and age, you wouldn't hear that, but I'm sure it still happens. It's despicable, but it it's is, pretty It is, but terrible. what a wonderful story for me to share. I now have that story to share because it's not going to be the last time that happens. I'm not the only woman in America mm-hmm. that that has happened to or in the world. I'm not the only entrepreneur, you know, take the fact that I'm a woman out of it. I'm not the only entrepreneur that's been told they were ridiculous and they need to go back home. It's just, you got to, you got to, you got to toughen up. And you got to see a little further down the road. Yeah, that's a really wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that with me, Brittany. And actually, that brings me to the next question I have. And that is a lot of educators who listen, they are encouraging and they are mentoring students into possible entrepreneurship type roles, even in their young age and in their life. What kind of advice would you give to anyone who's sort of mentoring someone into any kind of role like that? Well, I think you've mentioned it previously, just kind of that that heart and hustle piece, right? I mean, I think that that represents the entrepreneurship journey more than anything else is people are going to tell you no. You are going to hear no more than you will ever hear yes. And you have to get comfortable with the no's. You've also got to become incredibly adaptable. And I think that is a skill set that we are not really teaching any longer. Uh, and I do think that it's something specifically in the area of business and entrepreneurship I mean, even the statistic that I shared with you earlier in our time together, that from 2019 to 2020, e-commerce grew 44%. If you're not adaptable enough in your skill set, if you're not adaptable enough in how you show up in the world, you're going to get left behind. And so we have to teach our students, we have to teach the next generation, we have to teach our children how to be adaptable, how to pivot when the pivot is required, how to stay alive. That's what entrepreneurship is, right? You believe and you're willing to bet on yourself so much that you're never going to stand in line for a paycheck from somebody else because you believe you can create it best on your own. And so I think that we've got to teach the skill set of adaptability, the ability to pivot, the ability to pay attention to what's happening in the market and to be very anticipatory about where we move next. Where do you see things going? Where is the trend leading? What do you think is coming next so that you're in front of things instead of behind them? I am a huge proponent of we always want to respond, not react. And those are very different functions. If you're reacting, you're behind the eight ball. You're too far. If you're responding, you're in front of it and you are adapting to what's being put in front of you. So 
I think just teaching some of those skills would be incredibly critical in terms of, of where we go next. And I'll tell you, even from my staffing standpoint, I want smart people that can think on their toes. I want people that can look out at the landscape and say, okay, where do I need to help the company best? Who cares if it's on your job description or not? I want a smart thinker. I want someone who is looking ahead, that is anticipatory about what's coming, and that is thinking about how we get to that next place better mm -hmm. than how we got to the place we're in. That was so eloquent. Thank you for that, Brittany. And actually, that brings me to the next point, which is how do you determine the qualities in someone that you want to be on your team, so to speak, like the people who work with you closest? Yeah. What do you see in people? So we do a couple of things. One, we always do three interviews. I believe you can always show up really great on one. You might even be able to do it on two, but by three, you're kind of lifting the hood a little bit differently. So we have a policy. We always do three interviews for, you know, leadership positions. Now, obviously our order fulfillment teams, which have quality assurance and embroidery and inventory and shipping and those types of things, that's a little bit of a different hourly wage worker. But when we're talking about our folks that are, I call them the impact players, right? They're in our marketing team. They're in our product development team. They're in design team. They're in our sales channel. They're in our support teams of our reps. Those are little different hires for us. And so we always do three interviews. And then here's the other thing that we do that's kind of unique to us that I always look for. I don't know if you're familiar with, there's a, a little book out there called Strengths Finder 2.0. Have you ever heard of that? I have okay. not heard of that and okay. I want to hear more about it. <laughs> yeah. So there's a book called Strengths Finder 2.0. An author named Tom Rath, R-A-T-H, wrote it. And here's why I love it so much. I'm not a Pollyanna, but I am a glass is always full and running over. I just don't believe anybody wins by being negative. I think we win by seeing everything through a positive lens and that it's happening for me and not to me. And so the premise of the StrengthsFinder 2.0 is that Tom Rath and a group of other Gallup poll psychologists spent four decades, 40 years. Can we even have a moment about that? 40 years looking across all of humanity, and they narrowed down to the fact that there are 34 key strengths that are represented in the human race, 34. And so they created this little assessment tool where you take a little 15-minute, 20-minute test online, you get back your top five strengths. Out of the 34, every human has about top five. You get back your top five, and then their book goes into breaking down what all 34 of them are in like a five a six page synopsis around each one. Here's what I love about it. The premise of their four decades of work, the premise of what they have put out is that if we as people can stay in our place of strength, we are three times happier in our life, not just in our work life, in our home life, in our marriages, in our work life, all of those things. We're three times happier and we're six times more effective. So if I know that we're hiring in a finance role, let's say, then I know I need somebody who's coming back with a strengths as having a strength in analytical skills. That needs to be one of their strengths, right? But if I know that I'm hiring someone for a sales job, then I want to make sure that they've got probably strategy as one of their strengths so that they're helping me strategize. Uh, my number one strength is strategy. That's top for me. I thrive best. The people that work the closest to me, if they have strategy or some element of strategic um, strength on their top five. So I think it's been for us, Jason, honestly, just understanding our work dynamic and understanding our business and who we need to bring along to fill in the 
gaps, right? It's not just about creating people that are like me, but it's about creating people around me that can help amplify the things that I'm naturally gifted in and that they are bringing something different and unique to their role as well. But we lean in heavily. So after they do the assessment, we usually, when we've narrowed down our top three candidates, we have our top three candidates take the assessment and then we look at their strengths. And then once we have made a hire for that role, everybody in our company has their five strengths printed and framed and they are sitting on their desk. And we do that because if I go in to have a meeting with you and I know one of your top strengths is analytical, then I'm going to go in saying, okay, I need to have every little detail so that Jason can understand what we're talking about. Whereas when somebody comes in to meet with me and my number one strength is strategy, just give me the bullet points because if you try to give me all the detail, I'm going to be glazed over in about two seconds. So it's helped us have a common language internally on how we help each other be best and show up best for work every day. But it's also become a wonderful little guiding light for us on how we hire and who we bring on the team. Brittany, I was going to ask you which book we should all read, but you've just told me uh, what that what that is. <laughs> so I'm going to have to read. You really just get it and take the assessment, and then wow. you read over your top five. But I'm telling you, that has been a profound book for us. Um, an assessment right. tool. You can get them on Amazon. They're like I don't know, ten or twelve bucks. They're super affordable. Mm-hmm. But it's and a what's great the author's book. name again? Tom Rath. R A T H. Sounds great. I'll make sure to include that in the show notes because there will be people who will be clamoring to find that. Because, you know, when you're describing that, Brittany, I'm immediately thinking about how good it would be to have that on my name tags of teachers and students at school. (laughs) Yes, it would. And I'm going to tell you this. They've spun off a lot of other books. So they've got strengths-based entrepreneurship book that teaches you how to lean into your strengths as an entrepreneur. You can give the assessment to your children. But I'm kind of a personality test junkie. Like I love oh, Wow, Brittany, that sounds great. I'm so glad I asked you that question. <laughs> yeah. What a great, great way to share your vision and philosophy. So let me just ask you, you just said, you just took the words out of my mouth and that was no one else knows your vision like you do. And so what is your vision for your company moving forward? And, you know, you think about your own children or is there, is there visions of maybe them helping with the company later? You know, what, what are some of the things that you're hoping to happen in the near future? future? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think for me, you know, if you had asked me that question, I would even say five years ago, Jason, my answer would have been to be the biggest company we could possibly be that I was chasing growth, right? And I will tell you over the last couple of years, I really feel like God's kind of tempered that a little bit in me. Not that we're not growth focused, we definitely are. But I feel like I've kind of flipped the script a little bit mentally in that I want to be an impact maker. I'm looking at this gift of this business, Darren, my husband, calls it a little jewel in the in the palm of our hand. And it really is. And I think when you begin to realize that the things that you have been afforded the opportunity to kind of stand in the middle of, and you realize that, yes, you've done a lot of hard work. Yes, it's been about hustle. Yes, it's been about your vision that you begin to really understand that you have an opportunity to be an impact maker that you have an opportunity to allow women and family, in our cases, women and families across America, plant that entrepreneurial seed in the hearts and minds of their children or in their children's friends that are watching them do that. We've got first generation kids that are going to college because their mom had a side hustle that's putting them through school. So when I think about my vision for where we're going next, it really is being an impact player. It really is about 
not so much what I may even see in this lifetime, but what is the generational impact? What is the legacy impact that we're allowing our reps and the people that they're touching to be able to leave for their children to follow up on? You know, I'm a firm believer. I think my kids are going to go on to do something far greater than we've done. And I want them to do that. The likelihood of it being initials Inc. is pretty slim. I I don't envision that they're going to do that. But both of them, we have entrepreneurial conversations with them almost daily. Our son started a little pressure washing business this summer that kept his tail really busy, but it was the art of the hustle. It was how he went out and shook the bushes, right? It's how he went out and got his next gig. So I want to plant that seed in them, not necessarily for them to go out and be entrepreneurs themselves. If that's what they desire, then that's what I want them to do. But more so for them to understand the art of that hustle, whether they're working for themselves or they're working for someone else. So I want to be an impact maker. I want our business to be an impact maker. I want to be able to truly leave a legacy and a generational impact with what we're doing by hopefully having people see themselves and their potential in a different way. That was amazing. Thank you, Brittany. And I want to just, I'm conscious of the time and I want to be respectful of your time. And so I just want to ask you, if people want to find out more about your business and what you guys do, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So our company is probably busiest on Facebook. It's where the majority of our sales reps are right there in their thirties and forties. And so Facebook is a little bit more of a, of a hot spot for them. I also am on Facebook. I have two different Facebook accounts. One is Brittany Vickery. The other one's Brittany Copeland Vickery. And then I'm also <laughs> on Instagram. I kind of tend to hang out a little bit more on Instagram. Instagram. I like Instagram better personally, but our company is a little bit more heavily represented on Facebook, which is Initials Inc. Fantastic. Brittany, this has been, I could go all day, but I know that you are a busy, busy lady. I love having this opportunity to speak to you. And I really hope that we're able to get together soon in person and and share a meal or whatever else. And that's just so great to talk to you. I loved every second of it. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon. I am so excited to announce the launch of a new podcast network called DNA Podcast Network. The Design Network Alliance, or DNA, was founded by Evo Hanan and myself as a result of DesignCast number 16. We talked all about the need to connect design educators globally. DNA is a collective group of like-minded design educators from around the world. We have one simple mission, to connect design and STEAM educators with each other and with designers that want to make a difference in design education to make it better for future generations. The DNA Podcast Network is a hub for podcasts that cover the topics around design, design and technology, design thinking, STEAM, and STEM education. If you are interested in hearing more great content, head over to www.dnapodcastnetwork.ga today. Click on the thumbnail of the podcast that you want to hear and enjoy. If you have any other podcasts that you enjoy that cover similar topics, please feel free to get in touch with me and let me know so that I can look at adding them to the network. Finally, spread the word. Share with your network and your PLN and use the hashtag DNA Podcast Network.